Good morning. I saw a few new faces out there. This is a little bit hot, Hash, for my voice. There we go. I saw a few new faces out there today. I'm Pastor Kurt, if you don't know who I am. And um, we've been on a a rather lengthy journey through a selection of psalms. And today we're going to arrive at Psalm 103. Psalm 103. It is entitled, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. And the text is gracious to us. The the author was gracious to us to make sure that we know uh, who wrote the psalm, and it was King David. And so no guessing on this one. We can, we can get a little bit more historical context about it because of that. So Psalm 103. Let's read this together. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like an eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all you angels, all you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. May the Lord bless the reading of his word and may our souls bless him this morning. Let's go to him in prayer now. Heavenly Father, Lord, arouse our hearts to bless you as we recount your word, as we recount your promises, as we recount the benefits of Psalm 103, may our souls glow white hot with affection for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I believe that many of you, like me, will feel a strong sense of empathy with King David this morning in his writing of Psalm 103. He is desirous to come to the Lord. He is desirous that his soul 
would bless the Lord, that his soul would be alive within him. You know, it goes something like this. You're probably very familiar with this scene. You've got your Bible reading plan. It's February the 15th, and so you've fallen a little bit behind on your Bible reading plan for the year, but you're in Leviticus, and by golly, it's 5.30. Your alarm went off, and you're up, and you're sitting alone in the quiet of the morning, not very awake yet still, with your cup of coffee in your hand or your tea or soda if you're a heretic, and, <laughs> and you sit down with your Bible and your drink, and it's going to happen this morning. You've already predetermined that it's going to happen, and you read the selection for the day, and you finish reading, and nothing. Nothing. And so well, maybe, maybe I just didn't understand. Maybe I didn't get it. Maybe I, maybe I just got to go back over it again. So that you read it again with renewed zeal. And your mind wanders off some other place. And you come back to it. And it runs off another. You come back to it. And you get through it again and nothing. Your soul, it feels, lies cold within you. The morts at my house, we heat primarily with wood heat. And so it is my de facto duty to keep our house warm. So during the cold months, I stuff the wood stove full before I go to bed every night and I get it nice and blazing hot, toasty, and I believe so hot that I think it'll last a good long while. And with a, with a nod of approval, I say, you know, like every good dad does, he says, that'll hold, ain't nothing gonna move on that thing, and I, and I head upstairs, and I go to bed, and that's a great feeling. And then several hours later, and I, do, I rise rather early usually because, again, this is my duty, and our house is cold, so I go downstairs, and it's cold, and that stove that was once very hot is at room temperature at best. There's no visible fire inside, except usually there are a couple very little glowing coals Amongst the ashes, if I scoop them out with my little shovel and they get air, I see them kind of start to come to life again. And so I will take those two little coals and I will, I will tend to them. I will add kindling or kindling if you're like my grandfather-in-law who brings me banana boxes full of kindling because he uh, is a carpenter. He likes to work in his shop and every time he has an unusable piece of wood, he throws it in the banana box and totes it over to me because it's a small, little, small, dry piece of wood. And I will take that kindling and I will put it on top of that coal and I will blow and I will blow and I will blow and I will get it back going again. And then I'll add bigger pieces to the fire a little bit by a little bit until I have a blazing fire once again and the, the stove is warm and the house is warm. And usually about that time, I hear little footsteps toddling down the stairs and they know nothing of the coldness that existed before they got down there. Thus it is with your soul. Thus it is with our souls. Salvation is monergistic, meaning mono, meaning it is the work of one, and that one is God. But we understand that sanctification, or our growth in Christ, to be synergistic, meaning the work of more than one. You and God and others even working together for your sanctification or growth in Christ. What am I getting at? Your soul must be tended to. It must be fanned into flame afresh. 
And every day, your flesh and the suffering of this world or your fatigue or flu or cold or whatever or sin or Satan will cool you down at a rapid pace. It's the reason that you may leave our services soul ablaze on Sunday and by Monday afternoon, your soul is as cold as ice. We've got to work at this thing. And that is hard. The Bible is not bloviating when it describes what's going on in this process as war, war. And so every day, every, every day, we've got to take those little embers of faith that exist in our souls and them back into red hot blaze. It isn't good enough that we were blazing when we went to bed. And in Psalm 103, Psalm 103, man, this is some good, dry, soul kindling right here. This is good stuff. And I'm going to give you a great big old banana box full of it this morning so that you can blow the embers of your soul back into a flame whenever you see Psalm 103. I want to hand it to you this morning to use. King David knew the struggle all too well, and so we are blessed to have it recorded and useful for our own growth. Verses one and two says, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is in me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. David does this thing in the Psalms a lot where he steps outside of himself and he preaches back to his soul. He's giving a command to his soul to bless the Lord and remember why it is that he is blessing the Lord. It's my sincere belief that we all need to adopt this practice of preaching the truth to ourselves. The heart is deceptive, and it will tell you lies. Your brain is shot through with really bad, unbiblical thoughts about yourself and the world that surrounds you. Do not trust the way that you feel. Don't trust the way that you feel. Trust the word. Trust the truth and preach it to yourself day in and day out. And that's the way this psalm begins. David prodding himself and prompting himself, urging, stirring himself up to bless the Lord once again. To bless means to say good things about the Lord in a spirit of admiration or gratitude or wonder. So David prods his soul. Bless the Lord's soul. Remember his benefits. Speak of his wonders. Bless the Lord's soul. Tell of his greatness. And then after two verses of self-prodding, follow 17 reasons for blessing the Lord from the verses that benefits David has not forgotten. You see that? Forget not the benefits. Things about God that he cherishes and that make his soul enlivened again to bless the Lord once again. And when he comes to the end of the list in verse 17, or first, excuse me, verse 19, he can no longer settle for just calling his own soul to bless the Lord. He has remembered so much of God that he can't be satisfied until all the angels are blessing the Lord and all of creation is blessing the Lord and all the ministers around him are blessing the Lord and everybody that is in his hearing will bless the Lord as well. It's not good enough just for his own soul anymore. He wants everything and everyone to bless the Lord. His soul is lying cold. He is saying, wake up and have affection for your God. Then he proceeds to list out these reasons like he is stringing pearls on a necklace of God's grace to him. 
and then he lists them one by one by one. And that's what we're going to do this morning. 17 reasons, 17 benefits, 17 promises. Are you ready? Here we go. He is the God, number one, who forgives all your iniquity. The God who forgives all your iniquity. Wow. Verse 3. A. Bless the Lord. He is the God who forgives all your iniquity. You rebelled against your creator. You continue to rebel against your creator. We don't keep our promises. We're inconsiderate. We're impatient. We gossip. We're lazy. We're sexually impure. And God is so holy and he hates it so fiercely that scripture calls us enemies of God. Enemies of God. And God forgives it. God forgives you. Reason number one. Forgives all your iniquities. You mean even? Yeah, even. Yeah. He forgives it. In him is only good, in me is only ill. My ill but draws his goodness forth, and still he loves me still. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Reason number one. Two, he is the God who heals all your diseases. You see it? Verse three, that's verse 3b. Anyone ever been sick? Sick? Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of people sick right now. Out. You're sick? Did you get better? Anybody get better? Anyone struggle with ongoing sickness? Anybody struggling with ongoing sickness? Chronic sickness, something that isn't curable. God is going to heal that too. How can I say that? Are there any sick people in heaven? Not a one. He's going to heal you. God will win out against your illness in this life or the next. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Number three, God is the God who redeems your life from the pit. Verse four, he redeems your life from the pit. The result of being an enemy of God and staying an enemy of God is that you will pay for your own sin in a very real place called hell. God redeems you from hell. He has redeemed you from its clutches. The scripture says he snatches you out of the fire. Furthermore, he saves you from a whole lot of hell on earth too. Think back to me with what your life was like before Christ. Think about the ingratitude. Think about the self-righteousness. Think about the disrespect. Think about the impurity. Think about the consequences of that lifestyle had you stayed on that path to this point. He plucked you out of all of that. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. (sighs) 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 
4. God is the God who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Verse 4, B. There's the, that psalmist, David loves this concept. It come, I've told you about it before. I'll keep telling you about it as long as it shows up in the text. Straight out of Exodus 34, chesed, where God more fully describes himself to Moses. Remember, God, Moses asks God his, what God's name is, clear back at the burning bush, and God just tells him, I am. That's good enough for you for now. I am. And then later on, close to the passage where Mark read in Exodus chapter 33, God is about to smite all of Israel and Moses asks him to relent. And Moses is in extreme distress before God for God not to make a greasy spot where Israel is. And God relents before him, but Moses is still really stressed out by these people. He understand, he's playing mediator between a holy God and a very corrupt people, and it's stressful. And he says to God, I just, I need a little bit more. I need a little bit more, God. I need you to show me a little bit more. And God says, I'll give you a little bit more. My name is this, steadfast love and kindness abounding. I am merciful. I am just. This concept of chesed, this is who I am. Am. David loves this and he picks up on it and brings it out in the Psalms over and over and over again. This is essentially like God's middle name. God's middle name is steadfast love and kindness, justice, mercy. It was a further elaboration upon the earlier name. It's his essence and he crowns us with it. Puts it on my head. Steadfast love and kindness, that means he has steadfast love and mercy for us. And also those are the very things that mark us now. Believers are distinguished from the rest of creation and humanity, even in a special way that say Christians are the vessels that display God's mercy. If you are in Christ today, it's because he has set you aside to display his steadfast love and kindness to all the rest of creation. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Number five, God is the God who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like an eagle's. Verse five. When you were walking with the Lord, we're going back to that. So when you, when you were walking, when you are walking with the Lord, what makes you fulfilled changes? Have you ever had this thought? Did you ever have the thought when you were lost? How could anyone ever want to go to church? Who would want to spend time reading an old outdated book like the Bible? And now you have the exact opposite thought. I can't imagine not going to church. I can't imagine living without the word of God. It's because he has, been, has given you new appetites to want what is good and to hate what is evil. Through this, your soul now soars like an eagle. Outwardly, you may be wasting away, but inwardly, you are being renewed day by day. And when you get a full serving of good, your soul soars. He satisfies you with good. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Six, he works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. 
He does not leave the poor and needy to perish at the hands of their enemies, but interposes on their behalf, for he is the redeemer of the poor, the executioner of the cruel. And when his people were in Egypt, he heard their groanings and brought them out. But he overthrew Pharaoh in the Red Sea. Man's injustice shall receive retribution at the hand of God, mercy to his saints, and demands of vengeance on their persecutors. The Lord will repay it. Many times in the scripture, God himself says, I will repay, declare the Lord. No blood of martyrs shall be shed in vain. No groans of confessors in prison shall be left without being made a concern to God. All wrongs shall be righted. All the oppressed shall be avenged. Justice may at time leave the courts of man. We may not get the verdicts we want in the courtroom of man, but we are each going to receive justice, true, abounding, steadfast justice at the throne that is above all thrones, the bar, the seat of mercy and justice itself in front of God. These are the promises of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Number seven, he made known his ways to Moses. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. God is not just a God who acts, but a God who makes himself known. There is no mysterious spiritual force behind God. He's not some nebulous spirit out there that we maybe worship because he might show us something about himself. He is defined by his word to us in the scripture. His character governs his ways. Man in their twistedness will, as Romans 1 says, seek to suppress the truth about him, but we are each without excuse because what can be known about him is clearly perceived in creation and specifically even more so in his word revealed to us. Your God is a God that wants you to know him. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord. Number nine, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. The Lord disciplines those he loves, but he is not a father that exasperates his children. He has no memory of our sins. As we turn from our sins by his calling, his chiding and discipline will turn while it keeps no record of what we did wrong. God is not sitting up there tallying it up against you, Christian. He has no need to tally up. As soon as you turn, he turns. As soon as you repent, he no longer chides. Furthermore, he has worked things out for his children that while it is a need to discipline us in our sin right now, one day we will no longer need chiding whatsoever. One day you will be free from being needed. I got a hard head. One day I will be freed from my hard-headedness and God will not have to chide me any longer. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Number 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. 
Otherwise, Israel would have perished outright. And we also, not, not so long ago, in a, in a not so long ago way, Israel would have perished. We would have been consigned to the lowest hell immediately if we got what we deserved. We ought to praise God for what he has not done as well as what he has done. Amen? You deserved Israel deserved what God was going to give them, did they not, in Exodus? God was totally just to want to wipe out Israel. Would not have hurt God's justice at all for him to wipe out Israel. You, you brothers and sisters, hear me. God would have been totally just to hit you with both barrels. Totally just to carry out white, hot, wrath-filled anger against you. And he didn't, and he hasn't. He hasn't, and the scripture says he won't. He won't. Up to this moment, at our very worst state, we have never suffered as we deserve to suffer. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Who can reach even the first of the fixed stars? I, I, I saw a neat, um, a neat article the other day. We're gonna go to Mars. You know what I think God says about that? Whoopty stinking do. We can't even touch the first star. We can't even graze our inner edge of our tiny little universe. Who could measure the utmost bounds of the star universe? None but one. Yet that is how great his mercy is for you. And all this mercy is for them that fear him, it says. There must be a humble, hearty reverence of his authority, or we cannot taste his grace. Godly fear is one of the first products of salvation, of tasting salvation. It is the beginning of wisdom, and it fully ensures to its possessor that all the benefits of God's mercy are his. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Bless the Lord. Number 12, God is the God that as far as the east is from the west separates our transgressions, removes our transgressions from us. As far as the place of the sunrise is removed from the place of sunset in the west when the day's journey is done, so far have our sins been carried away. Neither trace nor stain of them shall be found, says the Lord himself. Not even our great enemy, who makes a habit of continually reminding of us of the tally marks of our falling short of the glory of God, can bring back our sins from the west back to the east in order to make us have to pay for those sins. God has hidden them away in a place that only he knows, and still he turns his face from it. They are gone I loved, I loved that video that we play around Easter time 
of that old preacher saying, if, if, it was, if God continues to look on our sins and continues to count our sins, if Christ's blood was not sufficient, I'm, get, I'm killing my punchline already here, but it's just too good. If Christ's blood is not good enough to cover all of it, then we might as well sing, Jesus just paid some of it. But we don't. What do we sing? Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. As far as the east is from the west, bless the Lord, O my soul. 13, as a father shows his compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This should check every tendency that we have toward pride. Though at the same time, it should make us feel the richest comfort. Fathers feel for their children, especially when their babies are in pain. They would rather suffer in their set. Amen, dads? You got a little child and they've fallen and hurt themselves or they've busted their mouth or they've scraped their knee and they're just doing that, you know, just uncontrollable. And you set them on your knee and, oh, gosh, I wish I could do something about that pain for you. Maybe I can, uh, isn't this a good one? I'll blow it, <sighs> you know, <laughs> blow it. That makes it feel better. Whatever I can do, this is ridiculous because whatever I could do to try to make this thing go away, that's what I'm going to do for you. And this is the sensitivity of your heavenly father towards you. He shows compassion. We do not adore a God of stone, but a living God who embodies tenderness itself. He is at this very moment, this very second, having every compassionate attitude for us imaginable, even as we sit. Because this, if you look at the scripture, look at that verse, it's present tense, shows ongoingly compassion for us as a father shows his children, his pity and personal concern for his children never fails to flow and we never cease to need his compassion. And it's always there. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Number 14, 14, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place it knows no more. No one understands like your Lord does. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He knows all your allergies. He knows all your finer personality traits and not so finer personality traits. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows just how fragile you are. And even when you feel like you're invincible, he knows otherwise. This text calls us dust. Dust. He remembers that we are dust. We are often too little mindful of the infirmities of other people, how, how dusty everybody else is. It's very easy as humans to lose sight, just how fragile everyone else is. But God never forgets. He never overloads us. He never fails to give us strength equal to our day because he already knows and has already taken into account our frailty. When he is laying out your day before you, before you even open your eyes, he knows you're dust. He knows you're fragile. He knows you're weak. And he knows when something is too much for you to bear. Bless the Lord. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul. 15. God is the God whose steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. From everlasting to everlasting for those who fear him. This is verse 17. How great is the contrast between the the fading flower of man, which was just described for us, made of dust, and the everlasting God. How wonderful that his mercy should link our frailty with eternity and make us everlasting as well. Jehovah changes not. Love that song. I change, he changes not. Peace with him remains the same. No change, Jehovah knows. He has mercy without end as well as without beginning. Never will those who fear him find that either their sins or their needs have exhausted the deep well of grace. The main question here is, do you fear him? Do you fear him? If we are lifting up an eye to the heavens in reverence and fear, the gaze of fatherly love is never removed from us and it will never be from the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, the ancient of days. No beginning, no end, and no beginning or end with his mercy and steadfast love towards his children. His righteousness flows to our children's children Mercy to those with whom the Lord makes a covenant is guaranteed by righteousness. It is because he is just and he never revokes a promise. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Verse number, or number, or reason number 16, verse number 17, the latter half of it. His righteousness, God is the God who extends his righteousness to children's children to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord is going to make the same offer to your children that he has made to you. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. God is going to make the same offer to my children in the same way that he has made it to me. Believe in me and I, and you will have eternal life. That's the offer. And you are most likely the very means of grace the Lord is using to extend his righteousness to your children. Parents, listen to me. Children of the righteous are not, however, promised the Lord's mercy without a stipulation. The second part of that. To those who keep his covenant. And those who remember his commandments. The parents must be obedient and the children must be obedient too. This is why we need to be serious and minded about family worship at home and also family worship here at our church. Teaching our children that the Lord's righteousness, one by one, we have to teach them one on one in our homes and cooperatively as we come together in this, this spiritual cooperative that we call the local church. So that as they grow into adults, they will stand shoulder to shoulder with you, keeping the covenant and remembering his commands. That is the Lord's desire for your kids. Bless the Lord. God wants to save your babies. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. 17. And finally, the Lord has established his thrones in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. 
His throne is fixed. His rule is fixed. It is settled. It is established. It is immovable. The Lord's rule is unsurprised by anything. No catastrophe shakes him or catches him off guard. Everything has been prepared and fixed, and he himself has prepared and fixed it. He is the supreme ruler, and his authority arises from himself and is sustained by himself. This matchless sovereignty is the pledge of our security the pillar upon which all our confidence can lean is that God's rule will stand forever. It is standing and it will stand forever. And his kingdom rules over all. Over the whole universe, he stretches out his scepter. He now reigns universally and he has always done so and he always will. To us, the world may seem spent and toiling and spinning out of control with anarchy, and confusion, great and small, intelligent and material, willing and unwilling, fierce or gentle, all are under God's control. All are under God's sovereignty. It's all his. He is the only universal monarchy. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. And it always has been hear me this morning, because some of you live in, in and you're in a chaotic situation, and this needs to be like balm to your soul. This may just need to be the thing, the piece of kindling that needs to go on the fire for you to get a grip and get back into reality. Your reality, even if it seems chaotic, is not chaotic. Why? Because the Lord sits on the throne, and he's not going anywhere, ever. He understands, he sees, he has foreseen all. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord. And I suppose as we come to the end of that list, the question that I'm left with after reading this is, how is all of this possible for David? How is this possible for David? How can he count all these benefits toward himself? Was it because he was a king or... David was a murderer. He was an adulterer. David was a liar. David's sins lived with him every single day. Forget how far the east is from the west. How can David claim all of this and claim these benefits for himself? The wages of sin is death. Why did God not repay David with disaster? Furthermore, forget David. Let's talk about you. I suspect you are far worse than anyone else around you knows. I am. The wages of your sin is death. How can you lay claim to these benefits of Psalm 103? How do they apply to you? Well, let's just look back through a few of them real quick here. Number one, God is the God who forgives all your iniquity. Matthew 9, verse 2. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. 
Number two, who heals all your diseases? God is the God who heals all your diseases, Matthew 8, 14 through 17. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took all our illnesses and bore all our diseases, Matthew 8. Number three, God is the God who redeems your life from the pit. And number four, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, Hebrews 9. Therefore, he, he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. He is our mediator. He died your death. Your pit became his pit. His crown became your crown. Number five, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like an eagle's. John 4, verse 13 through 14, Jesus said to her, the woman who came to the well, everyone who drinks of this water, adulterer, by the way, not just past tense adulterer, adulteress in the moment, living with a man who was not her husband. Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, referring to the well. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again satisfied. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Number six, he works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Matthew 9, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into this harvest. Jesus concerned for justice. Seven, God is the God who made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. How are you gonna do this one, Pastor Kurt? Where's the Jesus in this one? Matthew chapter 17. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white. And behold, there appeared before them who? Moses and Elijah. He has made himself known to Moses again and again and again. Eight, he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Fulfillment, Luke 2, 23, 32 through 34. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Tell me if this doesn't typify it. Two others who were criminals were led away and put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Is that not chesed? Steadfast love and kindness abounding. Reason 12, as far as the east is from the west, so does he remove our transgressions from us. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Reason 16, his righteousness to children's children who keep the covenant and remember to do his commandments. Fulfillment, Matthew 19, let the little children come under me, do not hinder them. 
The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, reason 17, benefit 17, and his kingdom rules over all. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the voice of the elders and many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all of them saying to him who sits upon the throne to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and ever. And the four living creatures bowed down and said, amen. And everyone bowed down and worshiped. Do you get my point? All the promises of God find their yes in whom? In Christ. Hindsight is twenty twenty. What David was awaiting to come to pass as he was numbering the benefits, anticipating the Messiah, we have seen come to pass. And at the end of every one of the 17 benefits listed by David in Psalm 103, we could add through Christ and it would be accurate. He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love through Christ. Through Christ, through Christ, through Christ. Jesus is the fullest and ultimate expression of the Father's love for us. And I invite your soul to bless him and know all of his benefits today and every day. And brothers and sisters, I pray, I pray that in our time together, your soul has been rekindled. But know this, there is nothing special about Pastor Kurt. Some of you want to amen that. There's nothing special. In the words of D.T. Niles, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where he can find bread. Take this song, and as you find your soul lying cold, because it will, it will. Get alone with the Lord and preach your soul back into rest. Benefits, count them. Oh soul, don't forget. Don't forget all the ways the Lord has loved you. Come back alive. Get alone with God. Take Psalm 103, preach it to your soul. And watch what his spirit will do. Watch what his spirit will do. And King David, at the end of the psalm, gathered himself for one final burst of adoration. He has named the attributes of the Lord as seen in nature, grace, and providence. And now he gathers up all of his energies for one final burst of adoration in which we all unite. Since we are all subjects of the great king. So if you would, would you stand with me now, please, as I read this passage. Verse 20. Bless the Lord, all you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the word. Bless the Lord, all of his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, Mount Vernon Baptist Church. 
Bless the Lord. And we all say together, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Let's pray. God, we count the ways, we number them one by one by the guiding of your, your word this morning. You have been so gracious to us. And as beautiful as those 17 reasons are, they're just scratching the surface for the reasons that our souls should rise to bless you. Represented in this room, Lord, there's, there's, there's hundreds, a hundred souls, at least more, God, in this room. And there are at least a hundred different ways, Lord, that you want to reveal yourself and you want to revive cold souls. And so, Lord, do it. Do it, Lord. In your ways and in your times and with your word, render our souls ablaze. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.